please open to Matthew 2. Today's sermon will be the first 12 verses. So Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea and the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. That's into the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray for the Lord's help in understanding the text before us this morning. Lord, we come before you once again and ask that by way of the presence of your Holy Spirit, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear fresh eyes, fresh ears, and for me the ability to proclaim your truth with clarity. For any who are listening who are unbelievers that you would grant them the grace of salvation this day. In Christ's name, amen. The King Makers and King Jesus title of the message. We'll see how that unfolds as we work our way through. You know, over the course of history, millions of books have been written, many that claim to be divinely inspired. But there's only one that is. One that contains prophecies that have been perfectly fulfilled. And that is the Bible, which is the record of redemptive history. History of God redeeming a people for himself. Every page of scripture is God-breathed. which includes over 300 distinct Old Testament prophecies concerning the coming of a deliverer, a promised Messiah who is Savior of the world. 
one of which is found in the text before us this morning. Now, I want to conclude this Advent season with a few observations from these 12 verses. Matthew's Gospel. Okay, but first, a little background. If you don't understand the background, we'll never understand the ground. Amen? So first, I want you to recognize the context. Okay, the birth of Jesus has already occurred. So we're going to work our way through this, and we're going to take away some points of application for all of us as we head into the new year. Okay? So that's where we're going. But notice, uh, Jesus has already been born as prophesied since Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 uh, by supernatural conception without the necessity of a human father. The birth occurred in Bethlehem as foretold by the prophet Micah, which really magnifies the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ. In condescending grace to be born in Bethlehem, which really wasn't much more than a rest stop, located five miles from Jerusalem. Now, his birth, we read here, had occurred during time, the time of Herod the Great, who had been on the throne for 35 years. He was a puppet king, really. He was an, an Edomite a remote descendant of, of Esau. And he ruled over this little slice of Israel that had become no more than um, a, a petty client state of the Roman Empire. And his title was King of the Jews. Herod, King of the Jews. A, a man who, who is known for his cruelty, and he will issue a, a death sentence for all male children two years old and under, in an attempt to murder Jesus. Now, if you notice, we're immediately introduced to some mysterious visitors known as the Magi. Verse 1b, behold, okay? That means halt. That means stop, take heed, pay attention. Magi, from the east, arrived in Jerusalem. Now, before we proceed, um, I think it's necessary um, for us to, to debunk um, the myths, the folklore, and legends that have emerged from this text that have no foundation in historical reality. Okay? First of all, we, we do not know the names of the Magi. We do, know, we do not know how many there were. Your Christmas cards show three men who arrive on camels. We, we have no idea how many there were. There could have been dozens. They did not arrive the night of our Lord's birth. They were not beside the manger. No need to throw away your nativity scenes because we all have those, right, with wise men there at the manger seat. They weren't there, okay? They arrived months later, even upward of two years later. Uh, we're told in verse 16 that the reason Herod had 
all the baby boys two years old and under murdered, notice, was according to the time which he had determined from the Magi that that star appeared to them two years before. Their visit was not in a stable, but if you notice verse 11, it was in a house. Jesus was a toddler, most likely. Okay, now magi referred to a special class of religious people found among the Medes and Persians. They were known for their learning in science, astronomy, mathematics, and their teachings were known as the law of the Medes and Persians. We read that in Esther chapter 1, verse 9, as well as the book of Daniel, chapters 6, 12, and 15. The law of the Medes and the Persians. Now, you will recall in Daniel chapter 2 that King Nebuchadnezzar, okay, after the exile, young Daniel's there. Daniel's gifted greatly to interpret the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar, so he promotes Daniel, we read, and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Now, the Magi here may also have been from the region of Babylon. No one knows for certain, but it's very likely. Who would have known of their ancient hero, Daniel, who was a captive of the exile, who rose to great power and influence within the Babylonian kingdom. Now, these magi, in addition to being scientists, philosophers, mathematicians, they were also uh, the legal authorities of their culture. Legal authorities. They were not kings. They were not kings. You know, we sing, um, these three kings of Orient are bearing gifts they travel so far. Okay? They, they were not kings. They were counselors to kings believed to have been king makers. The Magi were so powerful in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ that um, no Persian was ever allowed to become king apart from the approval of and being crowned by the Magi. Great influence. So as king makers, um, they controlled the judicial and kingly offices of their day and land. And our, our word magistrate is derived from magi. Now, the magi may have known the prophetic words of Daniel and that the time for this prophesied king to arrive had passed. Daniel refers to the Messiah in his writings as the son of man. The son of man had been born. Somehow they have knowledge of this. I mean, you think about it. 600 years before Christ was born, God, who ordains the beginning from the end, used Daniel, very likely used Daniel, to prepare ancient kingmakers for the arrival of the king of kings, the lord of lords as prophesied, which is another incredible, incredible miracle of providence. 
Now, they most likely had some exposure to Old Testament Jews that goes way back to the exile uh, because they are the people who held the very oracles of God. They had the Hebrew scriptures. So the, the Magi may have been familiar with the prophecies given by Balaam, who was a pagan, from the book of Numbers, out of which I read from just minutes ago, that spoke about a star that would come out of Jacob, a star that would come out of the nation of Israel, a scepter held in the hand of Judah, this promised one. So needless to say, uh, these were men of greatness who were led by Almighty God from out of a pagan environment, from out of their Gentile territories, to pay homage to a newborn king these king makers. So no matter where it is they came from, they had to have traveled hundreds of miles to get there. This was no overnight journey. They were undoubtedly, beloved, the first fruits, the down payment of a Gentile harvest brought into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, as prophesied again in the Old Testament. You, Israel, shall be a light to the nations. Here they are. Now, what is often overlooked about the Magi is that these men were believers. Okay? They were believers. Yeah, they came from a pagan territory, but they were believers. They firmly believed that this promised king of the Jews had been born. What do believers do? They worship. True believers worship the king. Notice, they arrived in Jerusalem saying, verse 2, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. To worship. Now, many theories have been given about this star. Um, Some believe that it was a supernova. Others, that it was a a planetary conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, which you all um, looked at just a few nights ago. And others believe that it was perhaps Halley's Comet. We do know that that God drew these men and, and called them to Christ by way of this star. I believe it was supernatural Um, probably something similar to the Shekinah glory that led Israel through the wilderness. But Matthew doesn't tell us what kind of uh, luminary it was. It's just this star that appeared two years earlier, verse 16, and then notice it appeared again when they entered into Judea, and it stood over the very place where the child was, we read in verses 9 and 10. It moved that night. So I I believe it to be supernatural. Um, You believe whatever you will about it. Whatever it was, it led these men to worship Christ. Now they came a, a long distance to do what the unbelieving cannot understand, and that is to proclaim the worth of this child. To proclaim his worth. Worship is about proclaiming the infinite worth of Almighty God. That's why you're here this morning, I'm assuming, to proclaim the worth of this one. 
the infinite worth of the creator who condescended to become a human being. As prophesied, he came to suffer, he came to die after upholding God's holy law. That's why he came, to be crucified, to bear the sins of many, to rise again, to ascend, to redeem a people for himself. God, according to his grace, creates worshipers of this one, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's the point that Matthew wants to drive home. Jesus is to be worshipped. Question, do you worship Jesus? A lot of applicable points this morning. Do you worship Jesus? Do you value him more than anything or anyone else? Is it your passion that people worship him? You know, I'm, I, 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 I go crazy looking at uh, the, the, the newest form of human secularism, um, pseudo-religion with these little signs. I mentioned them um, on Christmas Eve. You know, we believe, you know, this catchphrase from the last year, this catchphrase, this catchphrase, this catchphrase, that's become a religion. And people who fear that they may not be politically correct enough post those signs in their yards um, in order to cover all their bases. Make no doubt about it, it's a form of man-made religion, period. Don't have one in your yard, Christian. If you want to know why, you can talk to me afterwards. Because if you believe in what's listed on those things, that means much of the Bible you don't believe. Merry Christmas. Does it trouble your soul for Christ not to be worshipped? There's another question. Does it trouble your soul when he's mocked? Christian. May we live for the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Not the name of Jesus, but the name of Jesus, which is capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. Incarnate. Okay, now consider the arrival um, of the Magi. Again, likely um, from the Eastern Parthian Empire, land of the Medes and Persians. And in case you don't know, Rome was absolutely terrified of the Eastern Parthian Empire. Terrified. Rome fought with them in 63, 55, and 40 BC. And remember, as I've pointed out in our study of Revelation, the Parthians had mastered, their warriors had mastered riding stallions forward while shooting arrows backward. And in one battle... They killed 1,000 Roman soldiers. Warriors. So the land of Israel at the time served really as a no man's land between these two great empires. Now, which tells us that the Magi 
would not go into Roman territory by themselves. They did not ride in on camels, my friends. Okay? It was customary for these men to ride not on camels, but on white Persian steeds, accompanied by a large escort of soldiers. We don't know how many, but it would have been, make no mistake about it, a significant number of, of a mounted cavalry with these magi. They would have had a large caravan, certainly, of camels carrying their food and other provisions because it would have taken them upward of two months to make this journey. So here, here they have with them a large entourage, these kingmakers from the east, Caesar, Augustus, Caesar Augustus was ruler of the east. And in between these mighty empires, uh, or of the west rather, uh, Caesar Augustus, and these magi who come in from the east, in between you have little King Herod and this little slice of land, which was a province also of the Roman Empire. There he is in Judea. Herod would have been intimidated out of his mind when they enter into town. Look at it, verse 3. When Herod heard, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So here, here you have a delegation of men surrounded by a cavalry of protection, speaking a different language, wearing different clothing. They show up and they start ambushing people with this question. They go from person to person to person asking continually, where is he, where is he, where is he born, king of the Jews? We read that Herod was troubled. It's a word that means to, to, to quake. He, he's shaking, he's trembling. It means to throw into confusion. Where's this king born king of the Jews? I'm the king of the Jews. Troubled. Jesus troubles unbelieving hearts. Jesus has always troubled unbelieving hearts. To this day, he troubles unbelieving hearts. Jesus is intimidating to unbelievers. He, he, he causes discomfort. He causes conviction. Hostility oftentimes rises up and out of those who have rejected him for years. Hostility. Some become deeply angered and venomous. Others will at least try to laugh him off. Now, what about the masses in Jerusalem? Notice, verse 3 tells us that they too are disturbed, trembling, afraid, troubled about the news of these Gentiles. He was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Right? As goes the fear and paranoia of national leaders, so goes most of the people. Witness? Just look at the political fear that has been peddled over the past four years. Look at the pandemic peer, fear peddled over the last 10 months, which equals control. I heard a news commentator last night. He says, what have we seen over the last 10 months? People locked inside their homes, glazed over on their iPhones, ordering takeout because they're so afraid. 
Herod was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. Now, perhaps they were, were afraid that, that Herod, who was paranoid, would have some, you know, shoot from the hip reaction here because he was a bloodthirsty evil man. And he'll die as he lived. Wicked, ungodly man who will slaughter children in search of this king. Verse 4. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where is the Messiah to be born? Notice, he, he gathers together two groups that stand on opposite ends of Jewish leadership. The Pharisees and the scribes. Now, the, the, the Pharisees were the uh, conservative teachers of Scripture, and they were bent on preserving um, Jewish culture. The chief priests, they were on the other end. They were the theological uh, liberals, always willing to accommodate Rome in order to retain their power easily manipulated. They were almost as liberal as the lunatics seated in Washington, D.C. to this day, almost. So Herod calls these two rival groups together to discuss one question. Where is this Messiah to be born? This promised king. Now, both groups, notice, according to divinely inspired scripture provide the answer. Verse 5. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, and you Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. They were right. What's amazing is that these priests and these scribes, they give the answer, and they go back to their temple rituals. They go back to business as usual, copying the scriptures, debating, and neither one, neither group, shows any interest whatsoever in the fact that the scriptures have been fulfilled. Matthew's point is simple, beloved. Another applicable point. There's a real possibility that people who call themselves religious, who possess divine revelation, true, inerrant, infallible revelation, the Bible, can be spiritually blind, spiritually dead, men and women. Dead. The chief priests and the scribes though they know exactly where to look in the Old Testament to answer the question, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? The truth is, they're not looking for the Messiah. They could not care less. They're like contemporary, unbelieving, lifetime church attendees, dead like cardboard cutouts. If you're going to watch football this afternoon, there's no one in the stands, but you see these cardboard cutouts in the end zone. People attend church all their lives, and they don't believe. They're like cardboard cutouts. 
dead. The Pharisees, the scribes, they were dead. But they knew the answer to the question. They weren't on the lookout. There was no hopeful expectation of this Messiah as there was with Simeon, if you were here on Christmas Eve. Simeon was on the lookout. These foreign magi, Gentiles, these wise men, they were on the lookout. And they traveled afar. Grace had been unveiled to these Gentiles. Verse 7. Then Herod secretly called for the magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. What a devious, wicked plot. He has no intention on worshiping him. He's an enemy of God. Verse 16, he slaughters all the children, boys, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the magi. Evil, an agent of Satan, an antichrist who does demonic work. He's a false king who will try to kill the real king. Applicable point. Never forget, friends, that haters of God who would, if they could, eradicate God's truth and God's Son, Psalm 2 tells us that as men plot to do so, God sits in heaven and does what? He laughs. Psalm 2, verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, that is his son, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us, their restraint, his restraint. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. They scorn him, he'll hold, he'll hold them in derision, in scorn, as disapproved. God will not be mocked. Let God be true and every man a liar. All conspiracies against God and his son will fail. That includes inward conspiracies. When you try to convince yourself that God is something other than he is. Notice the miracle of the star. Verse 9. After hearing the king... They went on their way, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went on ahead of them until it came to a stop over the place where the child was to be found. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So this star that appeared hundreds of miles away now reappears hanging low, that's why I believe it's Shekinah, supernatural manifestation of light, rather than some planetary star, hanging low above where Jesus was. Okay, now, now remember, these are magi. These are very wise men, calm, even-tempered gentlemen. 
They're not given to outbursts, <laughs> typically. Like, you know, doc- doctrinally weak people usually try to make up for that weakness uh, by way of, you know, hyper-spirituality, um, you know, charismatic type of behavior. But notice, the, these calm men, notice, rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, which is a, qu- a quadruple way of saying that they joy- rejoiced. It would be something like this. They were really very astoundingly glad. <laughs> they rejoiced when the star appeared. Friends, th- this is a picture of irresistible grace. They're irresistibly drawn to Christ. That is to say, when God's grace pulls on his elect wherever they may be around the world, they must follow and they must keep on following. Such is the act of grace. They will follow, even though it's costly, even though it is time-consuming, even though it is insensible to friends and family, they will not turn back. Nor will you. Irresistible grace. Look at their worship. Verse 11. And after they came into the house, not the stable, after they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. Having traveled as far as they have, They come as close as they can. Right into the house. Not satisfied with worshiping Christ at a distance. Notice, they enter in and they fall down and worship him. Falling to the ground says that you are high and I am very low. You are worthy. I am not. You have exalted Regal splendor. I'm humbled in your presence. They bow down. And I want you to notice that they did not, again, they did not worship Mary. You see that? This is a bone that sticks in the throat of many Roman Catholics right there who are Mary idolaters. They enter and they fall prostrate before Jesus, the king, not Mary. And then, as an act of their worship, they give costly gifts. That's what giving is, by the way. It's an act of worship. We'll talk about that next week because we go back to 2 Corinthians. That just so happens to be where we left off. (laughs) Providence. Notice, they they fall prostrate before the Lord on their faces, down they go, and then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know that the very first Christmas carol that was ever sung was not sung by people, but by angels in the fields of Bethlehem. The very first Christmas gifts ever given were given by Magi, right here. Men come from great distance, 
bearing these gifts. Notice, they, they, they give him gold. The most precious of metals. A, a symbol of, of royalty that speaks of his kingship. Gold. There's frankincense. Um, an expensive fragrance. We're familiar with it in the Old Testament because the priest would sprinkle it on the sacrifice in the temple as a sweet-smelling aroma to Almighty God, and that speaks of his priesthood. That Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. And again, intercession isn't prayer. Intercessory prayer is prayer. I say this often, but people still don't get it. Intercession is mediation. Mediation is representation. Representation is to represent, so all who are in Christ are no longer presented in the first Adam. You're represented in Jesus, who is the second Adam. And he ever lives to make intercession for you. That is, he ever lives to represent you before the Father because you're now in him. Frankincense. And then myrrh, which is a, a, a very unusual gift to give to a baby, to this king at this point as a baby, it's a substance, that was, a substance that was used for embalming the dead. You would enfold myrrh into the, 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 the grave clothes of those who had passed, and for a time it would hold off the stench. When Jesus was taken off the cross, he was wrapped in cloth, and Nicodemus stuffed in those folds myrrh, spices. It was also used... Um, is an anesthetic. You would mix it with wine, myrrh and wine. And you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh as an anesthetic to deaden the pain, and he refused it. So here, myrrh speaks of his atoning death. Now, I, I highly doubt that these men, the Magi, um, knew what they were doing or had all of this in mind when they presented him with these gifts. They didn't have it in mind, but providence does. God's providence surely did. Now, these costly gifts would also potentially finance Joseph and Mary's quick departure from Bethlehem when they traveled down to Egypt after, or just prior to, rather, the slaughter of the babes in Bethlehem. Remember, an angel appeared to Joseph. He says, get up and go. So they have these gifts, certainly it would have, it could have financed their trip down there. So notice then the, the narrative closes in verse 12. This is another example of, of how God foils the plans of wicked men. After being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Another application. God controls all of creation to bring the nations to worship his son. He will move planets and stars around in order to call his elect to worship his beloved son. He will make the truth of God known to those that are his. And when we come to Christ... He becomes, Christ is now the lamp for our feet and a light for our what? Psalm 119, path. He's the light of the world. He draws them in. 
And I want you to note this. That the very peculiar way that God used this star. Now, was it capable, the star, of leading the Magi straight to Jesus' house? Answer, of course. But that's not how God did it. See, the, the star first appeared in the east two years earlier, we read, and it led them to Judea. But they had to go to Jerusalem to seek further guidance. They enter in asking the question, where is he to be born king of the Jews? We saw, we saw his star in the east. And why does he lead them to Jerusalem? Well, he leads them to the ones who hold the holy scriptures in their hand, though they didn't believe them. Right? You know, Augustine, in a famous sermon that he gave, he said this. He points out that what he did to show, and I'm quoting, what he did to show that he desired that those who come to know Jesus must come to know him through the scriptures. Through the scriptures. So they, they, they travel many miles being led by the star, but when they get to Judea, the star is not enough. They must seek guidance from another source. God brings them to Judea to confront them with the living Hebrew scriptures, prophecy. The star wasn't enough. Now, once they had done that, they gained this information from the living word. They had a choice. They could either trust the living scriptures by faith, or they could turn back and go home. What did they do? They believed the scriptures, and they moved forward. Micah's prophecy, Bethlehem. As they were going, the star appears again. It moves right above the home of the Lord Jesus. That is to say that the testimony of creation did not lead them directly to God's Messiah. It led them to the word of God. And then the word of God led them to the Son of God. We see this? They worship him. They give him costly gifts, which is a sign that they pledge themselves to Jesus, who's the king. They needed the word of God. You know, God has placed many such signs in our lives, many testimonies to himself, many stars, if you will, in your life, in your mind, in your heart, things that he's shown you throughout time to, to perhaps draw you to himself, but that's not enough. Even general revelation is not enough. What is general revelation? It's the fact of Psalm 19, verse 1, that the heavens declare the glory of God. You looked at Jupiter and Saturn the other day. Were you in awe? My unbelieving neighbors stood in their front yard for a half hour, 45 minutes, taking pictures in awe because the heavens declare the glory of God. But that's not enough to believe. Listen to Romans 1. His, God, invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. Did you catch that? clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that all mankind is without what? Excuse. Nevertheless, when you read that text, it goes on to say that 
Men exchange the truth of God for a lie. They try to create God in their own mind rather than bow down before this one. So God does use the testimony of the world to get our attention, to bring us some of the way, to draw us in near to him, but to know him fully, to know him truly, you must hear and put your faith in his word. Divine what? Divine revelation. Not general revelation, divine revelation. He'll use signs, he'll use stars, if you will, to draw you near, but it will always be by the word of God that you're led to Christ. In order to enter into a true relationship with him, you must trust his word. They go hand in hand. Romans 10, 17. So, faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of, the word of Christ, who is the word, the logos. Also, notice this text tells us that we must act on what we know. We must act on what we know. That's what the Magi did. They acted on what they knew. They began to travel. They follow this sign, this star. It leads them to Judea, and then they're led to the Word of God. Then to the Son of God. Friends, these Magi, think about this. These Magi knew less than the second graders in Pacific Hope Church who've been attending Sunday school for the the last seven years of their life. Second graders are only seven, right? Yeah, seven years. Your children who are growing up in the faith, being taught by you and these Sunday school teachers, they knew more than the Magi did. But the Magi, they acted on what they did know. Kingmakers led to the king of kings and lord of lords. Now, on the other hand, these Jewish scribes who knew so much more, and they knew it so much better, were passive hearers, not effectual doers. Passive hearers. The Magi, effectual doers. They got up and they walked by faith. They followed the star by faith before they ever laid their eyes upon the king of glory. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So here you have two radically uh, antithetical responses that are shown to us in, in the text. The Pharisees, the scribes, who have knowledge of the scriptures, they're accurate, they're orthodox, but they're apathetic, hollow, lifeless. How dangerous. They earned an A in prophecy and geography, and they flunked application. Flunked. They were unbelievers. They gave the correct answer to the Magi's question, but they will not travel five miles to see this king. The Magi traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles. The Magi left home, 
They left family to follow this star for months through difficult terrain, across international borders, and into a dangerous foreign land. None of which fazed them, obviously. That was no concern in order to serve this king of kings, these kingmakers. And they bring him the most expensive gifts that they could find in order to passionately worship. And here we are today with so much more. Okay, what, what have we been taught? We understand the deity and humanity of Jesus, right? The hypostatic union of our Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that. We understand that he came and fulfilled those, those offices of prophet, priest, and king. We understand the law has been fulfilled. Christ, we understand his finished work. We understand his glory. We understand his condescending grace, his humility, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his lordship, his kingship. We understand it, and yet our worship, our worship, oftentimes can be very anemic. Can it not? I'm speaking for myself. To begin with, we know so much more. They had limited revelation. And they walk by faith. So here we have two models to this day. Those who know much but act little and those who act on what they know. Which leads them to more truth. So you have two groups represented here as I, as I wrap up. You have both king makers and king haters. Kingmakers, king haters. These foreign kingmakers believed on the king of kings, and they traveled from afar. And again, they sought him with eyes of faith before they ever laid eyes upon him. One last thought. This text is an amazing example of God's sovereignty with regard to salvation. Sovereign grace. Okay, why was the birth of Christ made known to distant foreigners who lived hundreds of miles away and not to those who lived five miles away? I'm talking about the grace that causes one to believe. I'm talking about the grace that draws one in in order to believe. Well, because it's, it's the Lord's sovereign will and his good pleasure that he was to hide the truth from worldly wise Jews in this case and grant saving grace to Gentiles from a faraway land. That's what we do know. Sovereign grace. Remember during Jesus' ministry, he goes through all these towns and villages and they, would, they kept rejecting him. They refused to repent the scripture says, when Jesus leaves these towns and villages, he prays to the Father, and he says this. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, that is, their wise and understanding in their own mind, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your Gracious what? Will. 
Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you will not enter the kingdom. Not become childlike, but like a child who trusts, who believes in what their mommy and daddy tell them. The Magi must have marveled. They must have marveled at the fact, consider why on earth would the king of the universe call them out of Gentile territories right into his home? It tells us this. We, as sinners saved by grace, as children of the Most High, the King of kings and Lord of lords, we ought to gather in this house, the house of the Lord, and marvel over the same thing. You ever marvel that you're saved? No, I'm serious. I, I, I can't believe it. I do believe it because of grace, but I can't believe it. I believe, you believe what the majority of the world does not believe, and many of whom cannot believe. But by grace, we've been made to believe. We should marvel over that as did the Magi. Because when Jesus comes the next time, these other promises of the Old Testament, of the coming one, it's like 150 of those promises won't be fulfilled until the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not sure on the number, but it's somewhere around at least 100. It will be fulfilled then. And when he comes that time, he's not coming in, in obscurity. He's not coming in, in, in humility, but in great glory. It is then that every eye will see. Okay, Every tongue will confess and every knee will bow and they will confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. Some unto eternal damnation, the others right into glory. Nothing in between. So let us marvel let us worship, and let us, as we enter this new year, continually offer ourselves to him, the king, who is the savior, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, soli deo gloria, amen. Father, again, we stand in awe of the living scriptures Prophecies fulfilled, prophecies yet to be fulfilled, but because of grace and having eyes to see now, uh, we do understand and are thankful that um, as the prophecies of your first advent were fulfilled, uh, most certainly the prophecies of your second advent will also be fulfilled. Help us, Lord, to be worshipers like these men who have so much more information of truth revealed to us, promises fulfilled, and let us run this race with endurance because it is hard. We need your grace to continue to endure. We pray in thanks according to your grace. In Christ's name, amen.